We are, we are in the Tug of War sermon series. Uh, listen, I want you to know my heart on this. Um, there is, this is not new uh, that there has been a separation between what the Bible says about how we are to live and then what the culture says about how we are to live. Everybody knows that's not new. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter where you live. You can live on the continent of Africa, you can live in Asia, you can live in Europe, you can live in the United States, and the culture will be different from what the Bible prescribes. Amen? I bet you there's some things about the culture in your house that are different from what the Bible says. Anybody willing to say amen? Amen. Those things are different about my house. I'm trying to get my kids to listen. It's hard. I can't use that anymore. They're all gone. And I won't say I'm trying to get my wife to listen because that would not be good. Um, so this is not, this is not about let's get over here in our little group and like, let's just throw rocks at the culture. This is us leaning into what God says about the way he wants us to think and live. Amen. So I need you to, I need to reiterate that we don't have to hate people to love God. We don't even have to hate politicians to love God. Although it is tempting. We, we don't, we, it doesn't have to be an us them. Like we're over here serving Jesus. Everybody's going to hell. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be that. Are you following me? But we are commanded by scripture to know what God expects of us. And to then apply it to our lives. James says, what good is it to look into the word of God and then forget what it says and not apply it to your life? It's like a man looking into the mirror and then turn around forgetting what he looks like instantly. So through this whole series, we're we're answering some questions about how did everything start? What is our, what is, what is our identity? What, what is our purpose? What happens after all this? We're going to answer questions like this, not to throw rocks at the culture we live in, but, but to solidify what we believe and that God has told us so that we can then lovingly impact the culture we live in. Amen. So, uh, we're going to be talking about creation again today, but in a little bit, a little bit different thought process, pastor Adam did a great job, uh, two weeks ago talking about creation and that God was intentional about it and, and God did create. And so today I want to, I want to talk to you a little bit, uh, more specifically about how he created us. And, um, and so we're going to, we're going to read a Psalm, actually Psalm of David that highlights this Psalm chapter 139. And we're going to start in verse one. Why don't you stand to your feet one more time in honor of reading the word. And um, we'll read Psalm 139, verses 1 through 16. Say amen if you're ready. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. 
It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is bright as the day for darkness is as light to you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eye, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray, Lord, that it would change us, change our minds, change our actions, change our hearts. Lord, I pray that today would bring us to another step, Lord, where we could trust you even more. Thank you for today, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. David is reflecting on how intimately God knows him. He says, oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high and I cannot attain it. He says, you know what I'm going to say before I say it. That's spooky. David is amazed that God knows all of his thoughts, all of his movements, even what he will say before he says it. David then recognizes that there is nowhere that he can go to avoid God. He says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take up, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your, your hand shall lead me. He's saying, you know everywhere that I go. And then this third stanza of this psalm, through verses 1 through 16, it says, David gives a reason for both of these things. That he knows what he's going to think, and he knows where he's going to be. And David says this in verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. For you formed my inward parts. He says, all this stuff, because you know me so well because you made me. You formed my inner parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I need you to understand something about that is different between you and me and God and you, okay? There's dramatic difference, and it's the way we are known. We're known differently by God. God knows us differently than we're even able to know each other. So I can, I can know someone intimately, but I can't know them fully. Are you following me? You do realize that, right? So I would venture to say, 
that I know my wife better than anyone else on the planet. Okay, I'm just checking, making sure. We've lived together longer than we've lived apart. We've lived together 27 years. We've lived together longer than we lived with our parents. We've lived together longer. We've lived together a long time. Wow. So here's a couple things I can know. I can know when she's upset. But after 27 years, I'm not great at knowing why she's upset. (laughs) Don't raise your hand. I'm going to get you in trouble. So it's like, it's like I can know why she's happy or I can know she's happy, but sometimes I don't know why she's, it's still after 20, we've been together 28 years. After 28 years, it's still a bit of a. Can, can I say it? It's still a bit of a guessing game. Is I've got some help down here in the front. We, we, but the same thing is true of her to me. It's still a bit of a guessing game. Hey, where do you want to eat dinner? I don't care. How about this one? Nope, don't want to eat there. <laughs> Ten seconds ago, you said you didn't care. As soon as I made a recommendation, all of a sudden you have an opinion. That was for the Eulers. <laughs> Listen, the truth of the matter is you can live with somebody 70 years. Anybody? You may be able to finish some of their sentences, but you're still sitting across the table going, I got no idea what's going on today. Because we are, we are in a learning process. We don't know. We are, the best we can do is learn about each other. Are you, are you, are you following me? The best we can do because I didn't create my wife. Now I can build a car engine and I won't have to guess about the car engine. Are you following me? Because I put every part of the car engine together. I know it intimately all the way down. I know how everything goes together. I know the whole thing. I can understand every single little part of it because why? Because I created it. But with each other, we only know what we can learn about each other. Are you following me? Sometimes it can be a guessing game. Our children are the same way. Our children, even though they came from us, we didn't intentionally create them. Now, follow me on this. I'm not saying you didn't intentionally have children. What I'm saying is, at best, we started the cellular process for a child to be for a child to happen. Are you following me? I didn't put my kids together like a motor. It wasn't a Lego set. Like God didn't say, oh, you want to have kids? Here's a Lego set. Put them together. I'll breathe life into them. No. So when your kids grow up, guess what you're doing? Even though you started the process, you're what? Learning about them. You're like, I didn't know kids were capable of that. I didn't know kids could do that. I didn't know, I didn't know they were going to have to do this. I didn't know, I didn't know they were going to have to have braces. I didn't know they were going to have to do this. It's all a learning process. So, so what happens is this is the framework by which we understand knowing. It is also the framework by which we understand trusting. 
Do you remember, do you remember back in the day when you say, you just give you a handshake and you could kind of tell by shaking somebody's hand. I don't even know how that happened. But you could, it was almost like we touched hands and we just shook on it. It was like, I could look at your eyes. I could look at your countenance and I could just tell you were going to be honest and all that stuff. Now we've got 800 pages of documents. Why? Because we learned that we couldn't. Is that true? So what happens is we know with limitation, we know what we can discern from people around us, including our spouses and children. And the thing that makes our knowing more complete is simply things like time and genetics. There are things I can know about my son because he did come for me and he thinks like me. There are things I can know about my kids because they have the same genetic disposition as me. But time is the thing that allows us to know people better, true? That's why getting to know people on the internet is still kind of iffy to me. Ooh. By the way, my picture on the internet is from 10 years ago. There you go. So this is how we know each other. David is not describing that relationship. He says, you know me fully. God knows him in a way his wife doesn't know him. God knows him in a way his kids don't know him. God knows him in a way that his closest advisors don't know him. God knows. God knows him. He says this, you know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, you know it all together. Before a word is on my tongue, before I've determined to say it, you already know what I'm going to say. David writes that God knows him in a way that is more complete than anyone else could possibly ever know him. God knows his moving around. God knows his thoughts. God knows what he will say before he says it. Charles Spurgeon said this, God knows us before we know anything. That's a good statement, isn't it? God knows us before we know anything. And then A.W. Tozer said this, how utterly sweet is the knowledge that our heavenly father knows us completely. Now think about it this way. Watch this. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to abash us and expose our past. No unsuspected weakness in our characters can come to light to turn God away from us. Since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. Now, here's the truth of the matter. If the people sitting beside you found out every... I won't even complete the sentence. That's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. Now think about this. David is describing God's intimate knowledge of him in a way that knew everything. He knows what I'm going to say before I say it. That means he knows everything that I was going to say before. He knows the things I didn't say. He knows the things I did say. He knows the things I was thinking about them. That nobody knew I was thinking about them. I know you thought about people in a way that they didn't know you were thinking about them. But God knew you were thinking about them in that way that they didn't know you were thinking about them. Because God knows what you're thinking about. 
So Tozer says, listen, you know what the miraculous part is? That he knows you so fully that nobody can bring an accusation against you that he didn't already know. Think about that. Think about in the world of politics when you're just waiting on the October surprise. We're waiting on somebody to flip something else out that nobody knew about. And God's sitting over there going, I knew that. I called him anyway. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about you. Tozer says, he drew you to himself with all that knowledge and all the knowledge beforehand of what you would do after he drew you to himself. There is no other relationship on earth like that. He knows you. He knows you. So David goes on to say we're not only known intellectually and bodily, but he knows us locationally. David contends that God knows our coordinates as intimately as our thoughts. You know how um, anybody put find my iPhone on your kids or Life 365? If you don't want to tell me in front of them, that's fine. Anybody do that or your spouse? I don't do it because I don't trust her. I do it because I don't trust anybody else. <laughs> no, but if, um, like, if, if, if I want to make sure one of my kids are all right, uh, I just check on it. Uh, our oldest daughter moved into a, a new house uh, in, in, outside of Nashville, and my wife checked on her one night, and it looked like she was in the middle of an undeveloped field. You know, so we start going into God, surround her. No, we didn't. <laughs> Found out the development was so new that it wasn't on the map yet. Boy, that'll freak you out for about 30 seconds. <laughs> Are you at home? What's going on? Think about this. David says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So God knows our thoughts and why we think them. He also knows where we are and what our circumstances and what we think about our circumstances. There is no chance, listen to this, there is no chance of God falsely accusing or bringing an inaccurate solution to your problem. Now think about this. He, he's combining these things in a way that nobody else can do it. So he's combining his intimate knowledge of you. That means every system in your body, everything that works in your body, he knows all of it. He also knows what you're going to say, how you're going to think, how you're going to respond, all that. And then he also knows where you work and where you live and, and he knows where your next job will be and he knows your next kid. Some of that freaked you out. Some, some freaked some of you out, but in Jesus' name, it could happen. He knows all of that stuff in a way that nobody else does. At best, we can check our iPhones to find out where our kids or spouses are. At best, we can use an app to find out how fast they're going down the interstate. And yet, David says, he knows all of it. He knows all of it. He knows every detail of our circumstances and every motivation of our thoughts. And the beautiful thing about it is, it, it keeps him from ever making a bad decision about you. Do you know I've made bad decisions in my family because I didn't know the whole story? Anybody? Anybody else quick to judge? Anybody? 
Like, you know, the kids will come home, you're like, and, and they'll say, but dad, this is the story. And you go, oh yeah. What changes a little, but not everything. But when you find out more information, do you realize God never finds out more information about you? He never finds out more information about your body. He never finds out more information about your thoughts. He already knows all of it. And so that means when he's directing our steps, it's with the most, it's with full understanding of everything. Full understanding of everything. So the reason he could do that is because he's the creator. He knows us better than we know we know ourselves because he created us. Now, now this is this is in a tug of war with the idea of evolution that that everything just kind of went through a process of happening. Now, if everything went through a process of just happening and coming into existence, even if there was even if there was somebody at the beginning that went, "Okay, let me just tip over this domino and it all starts." Then it, then it precludes the idea of an all-knowing creator knowing us this way. Are you following me? And so this is where we get into the tug of war about, about the Bible is standing over here saying, no, you have an intimate creator that knows every aspect about your body, your thoughts, your location, everything about you. And he intimately loves you knowing all that information. So out of that, we can have trust, we can have hope, we can have a future, we can have assuredness, we can have confidence. Do you see where all that's going? If I'm standing over here and it just evolved, then there's a disconnect. Then the only, then my, then I just know you and that's all we know. And we're having to wait for science to figure it all out. David is saying he already knows everything because He created you. Watch this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. I think Pastor Adam read this a couple weeks ago. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's one of my favorite verses. Every creepy, creepy thing. So God created man in his own image and the image of God had created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree that seed is in its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird It goes on and goes on. Do you realize In that creation statement, God says this, I've created you smarter and more intellectual than any other animal on the planet. Because he said, I've created you in my image, that's different, and then I've given you dominion over everything else. I've created you differently than all other creation. It's not equal. You can't be equal and have dominion over something. Are you following me? So right here, the beginning of the Bible, God says, I've made you in my own image. So there's things that you're, there are attributes that you're going to have that are different from all of other creation. And in light of that, I put you in dominion over everything. That doesn't mean we go kill everything. West Virginia. I mean, we kill everything. That means we have dominion over. That means nothing on the earth rules over us, including your house pet. Hi, 
God, open up Genesis and find out. You got dominion over that dog. Just because that thing's barking in the middle of the night doesn't mean you got to jump up and let it out. I run this house. Get on my schedule. By the way, that's why we don't have a dog. I ain't getting up. I am the one who has dominion. No other part of creation bears the image of God. There was a divine intentionality with mankind, a purposeful relationship that did not exist anywhere else in creation. Jesus did not die to save animals. He died to save us because we were made in his image. We were his creation. There was no, nothing else like it. So David says in verse 13, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He says, you were intimately involved. You formed. He didn't say God just started the process. He said, God did the whole process. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Can I say this about most of us in, in, in society today? Most humans are uninspired by the human body. Think about it. With the exception of external adornment. We don't, we don't have Instagram pages going, man, aren't kidneys great? No, but we have tons of fashion things, right? So what we've been consumed with now, what, what mankind is consumed, and we always have been since the fall, we are consumed with the least creative part of mankind, what we put on the outside. Think about it. We are absolutely consumed with what we put on the outside. We have... We have magazines and social media, and, and it's like, did I put the right things on the outside? Did I put too many things on the outside? Did I not put enough on the outside? Did, what is everybody doing on the outside? It's been a problem all the way back since David was anointed king. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on, the, on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. How does man see? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The most creative fashion designers on the planet pale in comparison to what inside the body looks like. Think about that. And yet we just walk, we just don't even think about it. We take the time to look at the wonders of creation. We begin to understand how God knows us. Science and medicine is in a constant race to discover the intimate way God already knows us. We keep finding things out and finding things out and finding things out that God knew from the beginning. I um, started looking up some things. I had uh, scraped my arm the other day. I got a, I, I, I don't sit at a desk all the time and my hands are always busted up and I tried to get the grease out of my fingernails before I came to church this morning. But scabs on my arms and hands, like, like cuts are a pretty normal thing. And uh, I was thinking about it this week a little bit. Because when we take time to look at the wonders of creation, we begin to understand how intimately God knows us. 
So when you start to study the intricacies of the human body, that should lead us like David to an understanding of the depths of God's knowledge of us. So if we're denying intelligent design by God and embracing an evolutionary process, we put away the idea that anybody knows us better than we know ourselves. So then if we come to church and I say, trust God, you get the mentality, well, he doesn't know me any better than I know me. But when we lean into the fact that he did this marvelous work of creation and he knows the intimately inside of us and he put us together on purpose and he knows our position and he knows our thoughts, then, then I can trust him. Amen. There's a guy named Michael Behe who wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box. Discusses the extremely complex process of clotting blood. I didn't realize that was a big deal. Or in some cases, we could actually just call it a scab. Anybody familiar with those? You remember when you were a little kid and you'd get a scab and your parents would say what? What would they say? Don't pick it. And as soon as they walked out, you'd go. <laughs> like, Mama, bleeding. Told you not to pick it. Is this kid even going to make it through elementary school? Think about this. Think about this. When, when I, I was uh, out of the country a couple weeks ago and I, I bumped into something and cut, and it hurt. It hurt a lot. And um, I mean, you can see the boo-boo right here. You can, I don't know if the camera wants to zoom in, but it's right here. And I got no sympathy. So what happened was I bumped into something and it ripped the skin off my arm. Um, that evening, you know how you're always checking it. Uh, that evening, I was like, oh, there's a scab there. I wasn't expecting a scab. That's crazy. You know, when you're getting older, your skin gets thin. Just bump into the refrigerator. Now you're bleeding to death. Um, so this scab, uh, this scab formed on my arm. And I, um, I just thought, that's, uh, I got a scab there now. It's crazy. Don't pick it, don't pick it. I looked this up this week. There's a, there's a website that does some classes called Creation 101 that, that refers to the book Darwin's Black Box, which goes into a, a very detailed description about what has to happen to clot your blood. Think about this. Just the process of getting a scab on your arm. That's it. When you were running through the yard as a kid and you tripped and you got a scab and you cut your knee and then by the evening there was already a scab forming on it. Just the process of that. So this website summarizes what Michael Behe spends chapters on describing the chemical processes that happen in your body in order for me to bump into something and have a scab form on my arm. So they say this, have you ever thought about how a scab is made? Do you realize that it takes a 12-step process to form a scab? Did you realize that? 12 steps. In order for a blood clot, there must be 12 specific individual chemicals reacting in a domino effect for a clot to form. 
Think about a row of dominoes. If you remove one domino from a perfectly spaced line of dominoes, the dominoes following the gap will not fall. It is exactly the same with the principle of blood clotting. If one of these chemicals is missing, then a person may bleed to death. If less than the required amount of a specific chemical is present, the person has pain. If too much of the chemical causes a, can cause a clot in the bloodstream and may bring on a heart attack or stroke. So think about this. When I, I forget where I was, we, I forget where I was, but I bumped into something, boom, ripped the skin off my arm. That evening, scab on my arm because I'm tough. No, because God created me in a way that all 12 of those chemical processes happen in order at the perfect time in the perfect place and they only happen right there. Do you ever think about that? I, I, I kept reading about this. I was blown away. The idea that I can cut myself and that specific area will clot and I won't have a heart attack and I won't bleed to death. And it won't clot anywhere else in my body. And when I cut my arm, my nose doesn't bleed. That there's these 12 domino effects. So this chemical has to be present. You can read Michael Behe's book, uh, Darwin's Black Box, and you can find out. He's very specific that this chemical process, because there's an argument in evolution that, well, if you take two of those chemicals out, then it still happens. And it's not true. They have to be there in the exact perfect amount at the exact time and one triggers another, triggers another, triggers another, triggers another, triggers another. And then I wake up and I've got a scab on my arm exactly where I cut it. That's crazy. Now, here's the crazy part. How did all those 12, if, if, if evolution is true, then a whole bunch of people blood to death. If evolution is true, then a whole bunch of people died of heart attacks until we could get to the place where all 12 of those lined up. Are you following me? So here's what we read through human history. People were bleeding to death. It doesn't say God created humans, man and woman, and the first thousand years they bled to death. Because evolution was trying to figure out the blood clotting process. Every time Adam walked through the garden and cut his arm, he fell over dead. And then they had to reset the game. <laughs> and then the next million years, every time Eve walked through and cut something, she would have a heart attack. And Adam would be like, here she goes again. <laughs> and then the God would reset the game. No. You can't explain that. Just a scab on your arm you can't explain except God. So next time you cut yourself at work, just go, dude, watch this. Watch this. And tell your buddies at work, hey, you know there's a 12-step chemical process that works in a domino effect. And if one of these chemicals are out of order... I will bleed to death right in front of you. And if one of these chemicals is too much, I will have a heart attack very shortly. Let's see what happens. And let's see if God is real. Just when you think about it, we haven't even gotten to the eye 
or reproduction. We haven't gotten to any of those things. And God, David said, you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You wove me together. Now I say, Chris, what's all this have to do with whatever? We live in a world where you can't trust anyone. You just can't anymore. Turn the TV on, you don't trust it. You don't trust authority figures. You don't trust your family sometimes. You, like trust has become just so degraded in our society. It's, it's worthless. Like we just talked about, we have a hundred legal documents to sign because nobody trusts anyone anymore. And then here comes God going, I need you to trust me completely. I need you to trust me completely. And then, then we start asking, why? Why would I trust you? And the church would say, well, because, you know, he died for our sins. I haven't accepted that fact yet. So why should I trust him? We go all the way back. Listen, God made you. He intricately designed your body in a way that is unlike anything else on the planet. You think like nothing else on the planet. You're unique like nothing else on the planet. You are you and God did that on purpose. And as David says, he knows the intricacies. He knows the next scab you'll get and how long it'll take. And he knows where you are and what you're thinking. And he loves you. Think about that. If you knew everything about me, you might not love me anymore. But he does. Nobody can bring an accusation against you that he doesn't already know. Nobody can accuse you something falsely and him believe it. Nobody, nobody can raise up against you and him go, oh, I'm going to take another side. He's for you and with you because he knows you. And in light of that, he said, I want to spend eternity with you. He died for us so that he could spend eternity with us. If we were given that choice, half the people would never make it. Think about it. But he said, if you come to me, I already know you. I already love you. I know everything about you. And so I want to tell you this morning, church, because of that, you can trust him. The band's going to come up. Look at your neighbor say, you can trust him. The one who knows you, the one who knows what you're thinking, the one who knows where you are, the one who knows the decisions you'll make, the one who knows everything about you, still loves you, still is for you, and you can trust him. Proverbs 3 verse 5, God always knows where, or David Jeremiah says this, referring to Proverbs 3, God always knows where I am and where I need to be and is willing to direct my past and yours as well. He said, I pray that you will trust him with all your heart. We read that a couple weeks ago, Proverbs 3, verse 5 through through 6. It's what David said to his son. Trust in the Lord, or Solomon said to his son. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Now this is making sense some more. Trust in God who knows everything about you. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know what the truth of the matter is? I trust some people because I don't have a reason not to trust them. Think about that. 
And yet God has given me a billion reasons to trust him. And I still struggle at times. But I can tell you this, every time I cut my hand now, I'm going to say, I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. Lord, if you can make this thing heal up, I trust you. You can trust him this morning. Amen. Stand your feet. I want to leave you with this. Listen to me. What would it change if you trusted him for real? Trusted him for real. I'm not talking about, oh, I trust the Lord that I'm going to heaven one day. What what would it change if you trusted him today for what has to happen today? Trusted him tomorrow for direction in your life. Trusted him with a relationship. Trusted him with a difficulty. Trusted him with with whatever you're walking through right now. What, What would happen? What would change in your mind if you actually said, Lord, I trust you with all of this? You know what? You may get a better night's sleep tonight. You may rest a little easier. You may call up somebody and apologize. You, you, may, you may show up to work tomorrow morning with a better attitude. You may treat your kids different. If we could just get this little idea that God created us and him creating us means he knows us like no one else knows us. He knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done and what we will do. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows every intricacy about your body, how to heal you, everything. What would that mean if we really embrace that? If we really embrace it and we're able to say, Lord, because of, I trust you. I don't have to be anxious about anything, but I can come to you as the one who knows everything and I can trust you. I don't have to worry anymore because I come to you and I can trust you. I don't have to be fretting over my future because I, I trust you. You said, lean not on what I understand, but in all my ways, acknowledge you. So can we do that this morning? There's a tug of war in our culture that's trying to get you not to trust him and say, no, 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 this, it doesn't mean anything. But God's over here saying, I know you better than anyone. I know you better. Trust me. He's given us no reason not to. So can we do that today? Just close your eyes maybe and just say in your own words to him, Lord, I want to trust you more today, more than I have before. More than I have before. That you know me, that you love me, you provided a way for my salvation, and I trust you today. Help me with that. Father, we proclaim that in Jesus' name. Thank you today, Lord. Thank you for being fearfully and wonderfully made, Lord. Thank you that you put time into us and intentionality and you made us in your own image and you put us in dominion over everything and you and you wove us together in this intricate way and you love us. Today we say we trust you. In Jesus' name. Come on, can you give him thanks this morning? Can you give him thanks?